0: How you doing? Everything okay?
1: Yeah, good. Thanks. Been very busy today, just prepping for the hackathon. So,
0: so I I wanted to talk a little bit about um, hack the press. I I know you've hosted two so far, I believe. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So, can you like talk a little bit, a little bit about it? I think I missed completely the first one. I well, really, I missed both of them, but I know about the second one. I I had no idea how the first one even came about. So what inspired you to do Hat the Press?
1: Sure. Well, Hat the Press started, um, well, it's, it kind of is a little bit of a long story. It started off, I the startup I was working on out in Hungary died quite painfully um, when two of my co-founders fell out badly. So I ended up kind of doing a bit of soul searching, moving back to the UK for a bit. And I was just reading a bunch of books, like maybe 20 books, I lined them all up and kind of read through them in order that I decided at the beginning. And as I was reading through them, there was this kind of constant, constant theme of the news kept popping up, even though I wasn't reading necessarily about the news. As I was reading, um, I was kind of getting this, kind of starting to think about the news industry. And then there was one book, I think it was written by Gary Vaynerchuk, who isn't really my favorite author, but you know, he's a thought leader on startup-y things, so I figured I'd read one of his books, that I guess, is the reason he's rich. Um, and it was just something, I can't remember exactly what it was, and it just made me think of this idea for this news industry product that I wanted to build. Uh, so I went and talked to a friend of mine, we'd worked on something similar at a hackathon, we'd met at a hackathon, um, uh, and I said, I wanted to try and build a, build a, um, business around this thing that was related to the news industry that we built a hackathon previously. And he said, sure, great. You're welcome to use it, but also why don't you just run a hackathon for the news industry to try and get as many ideas rather than just go with the ideas you've been exposed to already? Why don't you run a hackathon to kind of, you know, figure out what, what you want to work on? Um, I said, great idea. So he offered to fund it. he just sold his business. So he offered to, uh, to you know, sponsor the event and then introduced me to this guy called Ed, who, was, um, who, who had a venue that I could use, which is Newsweek House. So I agreed to meet with Ed. He said, yes, we can use the venue, and then asked me to move into the building above the venue. Which I thought was a bit weird. It turns out it was kind of a a residential college uh, for people researching different social good things. Um, So basically, the hackathon, the Hack the Press hackathon started out as a way to get ideas for a startup. And then I ended up moving into this kind of mad communal living house uh, in the middle of Shoreditch before I actually ran the event. And kind of pivoted over to looking at how we can actually make a good difference. Because it became quite clear quite quickly that it's very difficult to actually make any money in news, especially if, well, especially in if you're trying to do good news stuff, if you're not trying to kind of game the system. So then the focus of the hackathon became build a community around a topic, which would be fixing news. So the strapline became, the news is broken, let's fix it. So I now describe Hacker Press as a community of technologists, designers, and journalists that care about the news. Um, yeah, so that's how it kind of came about. a bit convoluted, uh, lots of kind of serendipity and luck involved. But, yeah, that's that's kind of how it went.
0: It's an interesting story. Um, it's definitely a different story. I, I believe you have the way you came about, because you, you do attend lots of hackathons. But the way you came about organizing them is comes from a really strong mission, but there's lots of uh chance encounters that have led to you actually hosting Hack the Press and you're going to host Tory Tech, right, this weekend? Yeah, well, Tomorrow. Techs. Tomorrow actually. Yeah. Yeah. Do so back, back to Hack the Press a little bit. Do you believe technology can really help the news or is it just find in any way to help the news and help the press?
1: Um, I think that's a short question with a long answer. Um, The long answer being one that's been going for years and hasn't finished yet. Uh, I think we're at a pinch point with the news industry because technology has changed and the news industry hasn't. And there are various ways in which the news industry hasn't. Part of it is cultural. Part of it is, um, uh, you know, the tools aren't up to date. Part of it is that people people kind of expect to read the news in a certain way and not in others, and kind of they disassociate. The, a lot of the time people think that what they're reading isn't news when it actually is, or they think it's, it's not journalism when it actually is journalism. Um, so, and, and I mean, what you're doing right now is journalism, right?
0: And that's a lot of
1: people forget because they're like, it's not written on paper. It's not on a broadsheet. My fingers don't get dirty when I'm reading it. So it's not news.
0: I didn't consider it journalism until sitting with you the other day and sitting with the financial journalist. And she was giving me tips and I was like, oh, I'm not a journalist. And she's like, well, you're kind of doing similar things. And here's tips to improve the quality of what you're doing. And I was like, oh, maybe I need to think about this a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, I I think there's journalism everywhere, right? I'm In some cases, we call it data journalism, or we call it storytelling, or we call it, I don't know, gossip. But it's still journalism. It's still finding the stories that people care about and publishing them in a way that they can understand.
0: Definitely. It's definitely an interesting perspective and an interesting way to think about it. That's why I think the hackathons are really valuable, because... Of those perspectives really come out. But one thing that interests me with, especially the press, when you say the news hasn't really changed, do you think they want to change? And my question from that has come, it has really been the tech industry that has fueled the news industry's change. For example, podcasting and Facebook and Twitter and all the news outlets are on these platforms leveraging it. But none of them, that I know of, are actively dictating where the industry is going to go in terms of technology. So, since- yeah, so
1: there's um there are a bunch of things that spring to mind when you when you ask that. One is that I've just started rereading Zero to One," which is kind of well known startup book. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about zero to one, what is meant is going it's not just kind of your startup is going from zero to one, you've got zero customers, now you've got one customer. It's more you've like the industry doesn't exist, Is the zero state. Zero to one is like you've got a typewriter, now you have a word processor. And then one to N is like you have a WordPress and now you have a WordPress processor in the web browser, right? Yeah. So that's, I think, something that the news industry has not done and has not been very good at. So in other places, you've got zero to ones in how people consume, relate to information. Like you've got Facebook, suddenly people consuming Facebook in their newsfeed and it's literally called a newsfeed. And I mean, you call the stuff in their journalism by my standards, you know, I would call that news and journalism, I wouldn't call it very good news and journalism. But then people think of that as like news because it's called news, it's the newsfeed, it's the things that are happening. And then they think of papers as like old news that they don't really care about, maybe current affairs or something.
0: And then for some reason they they kind of... There's this weird trust relationship because they
1: don't necessarily trust either of them. But they would prefer to read the news feed, the Facebook stuff, right? Yeah. So I think the the main thing is like a cultural thing in the news industry where there's... I mean, there's a lot of lip service to using technology. They pay a lot of lip service. But journalists are very competitive in general so people built a bunch of and this has been done many times now people build tools to help journalists collaborate and you know you can just imagine right we're going to use a google Doc to collaborate even within our our team of journalists and what they'll do is they'll only put the things that they know everybody else knows in there and then they'll keep the stuff they know to themselves in their secret you know their, their private files because it's a completely cutthroat industry there's far more oops Longer. there is far more supply of journalists and than, than of jobs you know than demand um, and they all want to get their name on something right I think there's a there's a lot of competitiveness going on and it's it means that they don't collaborate and there are some new news organizations that are focusing on collaboration and that generally means they're using more technology because technology, basically a lot of the technology, new technology is about helping people collaborate. Um, I don't think being on a platform like Twitter and being on Instagram and being on TikTok and being on Facebook, I don't think that's, they're not zero to one things. That's just, okay, now people are reading this content somewhere else. And a lot of the time, they just use the same content and they put it on those platforms when really the platforms demand changing the way that people think about it.
0: And do you, believe the, do you believe the news outlets are not actively engaging in that conversation in let's change the way people think about things? Um,
1: people are getting very excited about the idea of media literacy. Um, people think that media literacy is going to solve everything which I can see why people think that, but there's a bunch of evidence for that not being the case. And oftentimes,
0: you know, it just confuses people. So saying, you know, these people
1: are too stupid to understand what's good news and what's bad news misses the point of it, I think. Because people's relationship with news is not that they want... People don't read news to read the truth. They read news to be entertained. And a lot of uh, editors are very against things like, uh, there's a company called OneSub and it's one of many things that are, are, are similar to it that have existed at some point in the past. And it's a bit like Spotify for news or Netflix for news. You know, you pay one subscription and then you read from The Guardian and The Telegraph and then whatever. And the idea is that that's good for media balance and it's good for readers because, and it's good for news because then everybody gets a slice of the pie, right? Unfortunately, editors don't really want that because they treat their readers as this kind of walled garden that needs to be protected. Like, I don't want my readers to read a different newspaper because they might like them more and they might realize that they have a better opinion or they can back up their opinion better or whatever. And so, newspapers don't. I mean, you also see this when journalists are moving between papers. You know, they'll go from The Sun to The Guardian or something, maybe not quite that move. But then they'll just change their writing to fit the newspaper, to fit the readers. They're not writing their, you know, a lot of the time, they're not necessarily writing their own opinions. Um, you know, they don't necessarily agree with the stuff they're writing, the perspective they're writing from. But they write it to match the readers because it's entertainment for the readers. It's not, um, it's, it's really just not there to inform people. And that's a weird relationship, a weird thing. I'm not convinced that's changed recently. Uh, so I'm now thinking the news is broken, but has it ever been
0: not broken? Yeah. You know? yeah. And could it be due to, just, just listening to what you're saying, I think primarily there's a difference in the way the tech industry is run. It's fueled by capitalism and it's fueled by innovation, but the business model of the tech industry and when you get private investors in the, in the play and even when they go public, the business model, they have more room to take risk. The other day we was talking about um, the NHS and innovation in the NHS and, and healthcare services. It's a lot harder for public services to take risks. It's a lot harder for the news services to take risks, right? Even if they wanted to spend money on R&D and innovation and thinking about changing the whole system, they they have a very very limited budget could could they ever compete and like really could they change it from the inside or does it have to be disrupted from the outside
1: i think there are a few um a few things there one of the most important to me is that i mean it is that zero to one thing again it's changing the way we think about doing things rather than just doing the same thing better right If if newspapers can be like, wow, 50% more efficient and effective at printing ink on paper, that's not going to save the news industry, right? Even if they can halve their costs, not going to save the news industry. Um, It's that zero to one thinking of new, new ways to do things. And I think just generally large groups of people are bad at this, right? But also so are small groups of people, like one person on their own. Is going to really struggle to create a new industry or create a change the way an industry thinks about things, but maybe ten people is a good a good number of people, right? Um, this is, I suppose that that means that startups end up being like the maximum number of people you can have that maintain that are small enough that they can communicate and change the world effectively, right?
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's I think, what I'm starting from from the conversation. That's what I'm starting to think. And we did speak about it a little bit privately the other day. Well, at, at at the Newspeak House the other day about what size we are speaking about politics and may and politics inherently is unstable at the scale it's at, but when it's small it can be really stable. But as it grows, it becomes less and less stable, and and I guess. When it comes to startups and then trying to impact the world, it's really easy with 10 people. But as you scale, it becomes really hard to do that.
1: Right, exactly. And that's why Facebook invented a social media and they haven't, which is like, well, they didn't necessarily invent it, but they did social media sufficiently differently that they came out on top. And then and they did invent a lot of things along the way. And then they haven't really invented much. You know, know, they've created things and they've done things that are already done better. But, I mean...
0: Most of it just comes from acquisitions.
1: Sure, but also even those acquisitions in general. I mean, it's very rare for there to be a quantum leap in technology technology or in communication or whatever. And, you know, Google did search sufficiently differently and better that they beat everyone else out of the park. They're now building on that, and they do a bunch of different things. But they're not changing the world. They're not doing more zero to ones. They're doing more one to ends.
0: So, speaking a little bit about that, do you? What are your thoughts on monetization? Will it? Will is it currently sustainable? The model of monetizing media right now, because I I know myself, I don't really want to pay for the news but quality journalism needs to be paid for and if advertisers are paying for it and if other parties are paying for it that affects journalism in a certain type of way is is that do you see that continuing to be an issue
1: yeah so i mean monetization is a big deal because it's at the root of it's the incentives right the incentives of, of advertising have the incentives of advertising is uh, you know we need to get people to view our adverts to make money so we need to write articles that people want to read great. so we could either write good quality articles or we could write good quality headlines that make people think that the article is interesting so that they come to our site to see it. Um, and then you know you've got Facebook and Twitter or whatever and they promote engagements. An engagement could be a comment flame wall when when you post something controversial, right? So it just, the advertising revenue model drives these news organizations, content creators in general, drives anyone that's monetized by advertising to sensationalist headlines and taking positions they wouldn't normally take because it causes people to argue about them. And I was talking to a guy, uh, he runs a student kind of the publication about technology and politics. And it's written mostly by students. But he was saying that their, um, their most popular article was one that was controversial for reasons they didn't really expect when they posted it, but then became obvious afterwards. And it was the most popular because people were sharing it and complaining about it.
0: Right?
1: Yeah. It's not because it was a good quality article, which I'm sure it was, because most of their stuff is really, really good quality but it was because people disliked it or disagreed with it, right? That's why it got, and that's, that got them the most ad impression. So that, that's basically that article helped them pay for their infrastructure.
0: And I'm a, I'm a culprit in, in, it sounds like although the industry has its problems, it sounds like actually what people want to read and share, and you touched on this, is not the good quality journalism. They want to read and share the entertainment, the stuff that's maybe slightly untruthful, slightly controversial, and creative writers are writing it like that just to get that one nugget of gold in there or the couple points of truth in there and they dress it with all the entertainment. Is that is that a fair analysis?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not super embedded in the journalism industry and yeah. that was kind of a deliberate deliberate choice so that I didn't get kind of, become part of the machine yeah. i don't want to have a separate kind of view view of it but that from the outside because I'm, I'm i guess slightly more in but not that much further in than, than you are um that seems seems pretty accurate i mean if you just put yourself in the reader's shoes right if i read something that really makes me think it's a really good good article and brings out some good points presents them really well makes me think what do i do i sit there and i think about it If I read something that makes me angry, I mean, I don't do this, but I know other people that do. If I read something that makes me angry, I don't sit there and think about it and think about why that makes me angry. I share it with my friends and say, hey, look at this stupid person saying this stupid thing that makes us angry. Right? And if I see something, someone shared something that makes them angry, like, okay, I want to read that so that I can sympathize with you and comment with you and complain about it. Or maybe I won't even bother reading it. I'll just complain about the headline. And I think that's a, I think that would be a kind of a fair assessment of most people. And that's not necessarily a criticism. That's what the platforms are designing, right? Facebook is, you know, they've got their addiction engineers in there working on getting people to react, you know, it's not just liking or react to, to posts and they're encouraging people to comment and you get all these, um, you get all the nice kind of addictive points when your notification bar pops up because someone's replied to your comment or liked your comment. It's all designed to make us want to do these things. It's because we want to comment, want to like, want to fall for the, this stuff. That's why it works. And I think being able to find an alternative monetization method, which is something that I'm, you know, I'm very keen on, is really important to, number one, crippling Facebook, Google, the rest of them. And number two, gaining back our sanity and our ability to reason about
0: content. So, out of, so in developing or in trying to find new ways to do this, what kind of solutions came out of the hackathon? Was it were the solutions just average or were they really amazing Are some very questionable?
1: Um, I think the point of projects at hackathons is not that they you know I guess you know this as well as I do. Yeah, the point of hackathon projects is not to build something that works. It's not to build something that can be launched into production, but it's really useful to see them. As, I mean, most people come to hackathons for fun. Some because they really care about the industry and sometimes it's a mixture of both. For me, seeing the projects at the Press Hackathon, they have been really quite inspiring without being production ready in and of themselves. Uh, we had a project, at the last one, which was built a, a team from the Financial Times in Bulgaria, they were over for some work trip and they extended their their stay to come to the hackathon. And they worked on a monetization thing, basically an algorithm that would read through an article uh, and price it based on how long the article was, how much content was in there, how many references, blah, blah, blah. So the idea was that that would make it easier to, to do kind of buying articles, paying for articles on their own. I think it's also how many other people have bought it. So if loads of people have bought it, it make the article cheaper because it's more likely to have covered its costs type of thing. So that that's quite an interesting different way of thinking about it. At the first one we had um, I think a team wanted to do stuff on a blockchain related thing. You know, it's just interesting to have different perspectives and the UI they built was really interesting, had weird ways of displaying the same stuff the same information, useful information, but in a way that made you think about content and how it's monetized so those those projects kind of stand out in my mind when i think back but we had quite a few talking about monetization and our next one next hackathon is going to be focused very much on helping local news outlets monetize so hopefully more more good ideas will come out of that
0: and Um, and part of the goal or one of the core themes was follow through and public advice so can you talk a little bit about that like do you believe the new news pieces can inspire real change? I um It sounds like a simple question, but obviously, I want your your opinions and views on that.
1: Mm, so in, I mean, there are lots of different framings for the news industry. One of them is uh, one of them that I quite like is that it's kind of school for for adults. You know, you don't just stop learning things when you leave school. So you've got to keep reading stuff and one optimistic way of looking at it is that the newspaper, newspapers are a digestible, high quality source of information that will help you reason about the world and help you learn things that are important about the world, right? Um, I think that's... Yeah, I think I think that then feeds into the public advice thing, which is okay. So this thing's happening, you can kind of go and improve on the world in X, Y, and Z way. So one thing I'd really like to see is, at some point, is tracking change since a news article was published. It might be this news. uh, This this CEO has done this really bad thing, Um, or what was it? There was some charity, right? That was. The board was doing bad things in another country, um, and that was reported on. That was investigative journalism at its finest, finding a bunch of people doing a thing that they shouldn't be doing and being paid for it by donations. And then, I want to see a timeline since that that article was published. You know, they apologized publicly. Three people resigned. Donations plummeted. They changed the CEO. Donations are back up again, and now everybody's happy, right? Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that because then it shows that there is actually an impact of of, um, of the news article. And then that actually helps us understand how news can fit back into the real world. And that's not just like, you know, people read it in the paper, that might be someone's realised this is bad and they want to put £200 into a Facebook advert and they're actually paying out of their own pocket to tell people that this bad thing's happened. Um, and then there's actually the public advice in terms of, right, you've read through this article, you're outraged at what's happened or you're really happy about what's happened. Now the news newspaper says you should boycott this company, or you should, um, you should, I don't know, go buy all of their all of their products because they're a really nice ethical company and they're good for these things. And then suddenly you've got newspapers openly taking a political stance, which is kind of difficult, but at the same time it's better than what they're doing now, which is pretending not to take a political stance. Yeah. So I, that was kind of one of the themes of the last hackathon. Um, One thing I learned from from the first hackathon was that we needed themes because it was a bit chaotic without themes. People were coming up with completely off-the-wall ideas, which was great, but there was no clear way to tie them all together and kind of weave a story. And then we tried having three themes at the second press hackathon. And what I learned from that was that you need one theme because having three was just too much and people got confused as to what, how they were supposed to tie together and how they were supposed to think about things. So I would like to revisit public advice at some point in the future.
0: Definitely no this is this has been really interesting and that we're almost out of time. But what would be your advice or if you was to give people that are really interested in the press, the news, and kind of the the connection to technology, what would you advise for them? Or what next steps would you suggest for people that are really interested in kind of a reform or change in the news and involvement with technology?
1: My experience is that nothing gets done without community. So I would say find a community of people that believe the same thing, that care about the same thing. Uh, that doesn't necessarily need to be uh, in person, but if you're in London, sign up for Hack the Press. There's also Journal Coders, which happens um, in, in London, which is teaching journalists how to use technology better. And then around the world, there's, there's a group called Hack Hackers. Um, and that's a bit more corporate, but it's like how does technology and journalism work together in terms of the organisations work together. So it's usually people in suits standing on stage talking to people in suits rather than a bunch of hackers in a room. Uh, I would also say, there's a bureau local Slack group, um, not Westminster Slack group, there are a bunch of Slack groups out there with where people just talk about how they can improve these things. Uh, And I would say that in my search, my hunt to improve the news industry, I've actually realised that it's part uh, it's a part an important part of the larger movement this kind of news tech is part of civic tech and I would say, look at news tech but also look at civic tech in general as a more more open and, and kind of general thing to care about because it a lot of the problems that I thought were in the news are actually civic problems you know how do these systems interact so i would say I would say definitely look at civic tech movement in general, um, because that kind of influences the news in a really, really strong way.
0: Okay, thanks, Joe. Thank you very much. Um, We will be in touch. I'll see you tomorrow. And thank you for, for jumping on the podcast. Great.
1: Looking forward to it.